Appendix A to California Desert Trails by Joseph Smeaton Chase. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Appendix A. Hints on Desert Traveling. Extracts from Water Supply, Paper 224 of the United States Geological Survey, entitled Some Desert Watering Places in Southeastern California and Southwestern Nevada, by Walter C. Mendenhall reprinted here by kind permission of the survey. Author's Note Some of the suggestions that follow may carry less weight now than when they were compiled in 1909 through the recent improvements of the main desert roads with, as a consequence, the advent of the automobile and an increased amount of travel, and through the beginning that has lately been made at bettering water facilities and installing direction posts. Nevertheless, the characteristics of the desert remain, prudence is never obsolete, and these hints may prove to well repay some traveler's attention. Where teams are used, animals accustomed to the desert should be procured, if possible, for horses or mules that are unused to desert conditions fret on the sandy roads and rapidly weaken from drinking the saline waters. They are also in danger of pneumonia from the cold of winter nights and the wide extremes of temperature. During winter journeys, blankets should be provided to protect the animals at night. Travel in the desert, far from the railroads and from food supplies, is, of course, more expensive than in other regions. A party leaving a supply station to go 100 miles or more into an uninhabited part of the desert must take along everything that is needed even to the most minute detail. This means that if the trip is to last for two weeks, enough hay and grain for each animal and enough provisions to last each man that length of time must be taken. For four horses, drawing a wagon that carries four persons in their bedding, provisions, and tools, another team of four horses must also be taken to haul sufficient hay and grain to feed the eight horses for two weeks. There are but few places in the desert, away from the railroads, where hay or grain of any kind can be procured. As the teams are rarely able to travel faster than a walk, heavy horses that are good walkers should be selected. The tires should be as wide as can be procured. Desirable widths of tires for freight wagons are six to nine inches, for light wagons, three inches. Travelers will often find springs choked by debris washed in by rainstorms or contaminated by the bodies of desert animals that have fallen in and drowned. It is therefore necessary to provide a pick, shovel, bucket, and rope for cleaning the wells. At all times, except in midsummer, when the desert should be avoided, the traveler must be provided with clothing suitable for both extreme heat and extreme cold. His route over a part of the journey may extend through heated valleys that lie near sea level, or he may have to camp in the mountains at elevations of 3,000 to 6,000 feet, where the temperature may fall nearly to the freezing point before morning. For protection during the early morning hours, he must therefore have warm, heavy blankets and a heavy overcoat or its equivalent. Many cases of pneumonia and mountain fever have been caused by extremes of temperature for which no adequate provision had been made. 
in winter the temperature in this region may reach eighty five degrees or ninety five degrees during the day and fall to the freezing point before midnight the traveler should be provided with a canvas sheet that is long enough to lay under his bedding and fold back over it as well as to cover his head in the case of sandstorms the outer clothing should be of a color that will reflect as much heat as possible that is white gray or yellow and the underclothing should be of wool the hat should have a wide brim and be thick enough to exclude all rays of the sun the proper headgear is a broad-brimmed gray felt or for summer wear a big opaque helmet of white or khaki color the bigger the better the hair should not be cut very short as it is a natural means of protection travelers with their own outfits and a minimum means of transportation will find that they must walk much of the time for teams with heavy loads can crawl through sands at the rate of only two to three miles an hour sand and sharp flints will wear out the soles of shoes and boots very rapidly hence stout hobnailed footwear should be worn owing to the intense heat of the desert there is a rapid and abundant growth of minute forms of animal and vegetable life in waters that are not too saline all water should therefore be boiled before drinking filters form a part of the more elaborate outfits there are now on the market several small compact filters from which the traveler may select such as he may think desirable it is not practicable to distill water except for mining camps or for large parties it is advisable to drink heartily in the morning and at night and as little as possible during the day the practice of drinking water in excess of the amount necessary to relieve thirst may easily become a habit and should be avoided at best it places an unnecessary tax on the system and when alkaline waters are used may easily result in illness that could have been prevented by the exercise of greater foresight and self-control it has been recommended that raw oatmeal be placed in the canteens and some travelers even add to this a small quantity of chocolate and sugar condensed cream counteracts in great measure the irritation produced in the digestive tract by the alkaline desert waters and is therefore especially desirable when the water becomes tepid additions of this kind make it more palatable to some and there is less temptation to drink too much it is well also during periods of extreme heat to wrap a wet cloth around the wrists and to put a water-soaked handkerchief in the hat these are old-fashioned but effective devices each person in the party should be supplied with a large canteen and extra ones should be taken along in the wagons to provide for leaks and accidents an ample supply of water barrels and kegs should also be carried for use at dry camps and during prospecting trips the number depending on the amount of stock taken and the route followed poison springs said to contain arsenic have been reported from many parts of the desert the writer has examined the water from several of these but has failed to find any arsenic or similar poison though he has found large quantities of sulphate of soda glauber salt and some sulphate of magnesia epsom salts salt spring in south des valley is of this character and prospectors are known to have perished there so that the spring is called poison by many but it contains only sodium and magnesium salts 
and no arsenic or copper. The intense heat of the summer, the exhausted condition of the famished prospector, and the abundance of these harmful salts in the waters are sufficient explanation for the deaths that have occurred. Such waters are dangerous to a hardy, healthy man who uses them with the greatest moderation, and they may be quickly fatal to the thirst-tormented sufferer who drinks them without restraint. The traveler who is unacquainted with the route over which he is journeying should stop at places where the ground has been cleared of brush and where there is other ample evidence of the presence of many visitors and satisfy himself as to the nature of the camp. It may be a dry camp, such as are made on long stretches between springs, or there may be a spring or well in the vicinity which is covered over to keep out animals and is hidden by drifting sand. Experienced men will have no difficulty in quickly determining the nature of the camp. An inexperienced traveler should not enter the desert alone. If he cannot find an experienced companion, he should proceed with the greatest caution, gathering all possible information about his route in advance, keeping himself abundantly supplied with water and food, and never leaving one water station without a definite idea as to the location of the next. A traveler can rarely see exactly where water is to be found, except by going over the campground and looking carefully for wells. Many of the wells are mere shafts, 20 to 40 feet deep, rectangular in shape and covered with a few boards, which may in turn be covered by drifting sand. Only a few wells are equipped with a windlass or pump. These conveniences, even if originally supplied, quickly disappear as fuel for some traveler in need on a cold winter night. He uses them to maintain his campfire, justifying himself in the belief that self-preservation is the first law. Fuel is scarce on the desert, especially in the vicinity of the better-known springs, where it has been entirely cleared away. The traveler, therefore, usually finds it necessary to begin gathering brush and mesquite roots long before he reaches a spring, so as to provide fuel for cooking. Campfires are luxuries that can be indulged in only among heavy mesquite and cottonwood timber, or off the beaten lines of travel. One unacquainted with the desert should accustom himself to the clear air and the resulting exaggerated detail, which makes distant objects look near. No walks without water or provisions to what appears to be a nearby hill should be undertaken without definite knowledge of its distance. Landmarks should be studied so that they will be recognized from any point of view that they may be known when they are reached again. Before he begins a journey that does not follow a beaten and unmistakable track, the traveler should determine his general direction by compass or map or inquiry, and should adhere to that direction. The inexperienced traveler often gets at once into a panic on losing his way and wastes his remaining energy in frantic rushes in one direction and another. This tendency to become panic-stricken should be controlled, if possible. Sit down, get out your map and compass, if you are provided with them as you should be, and study the situation carefully before acting. At least rest a little and think it over. If it is hot and you are far from camp, get your head into the shade of a bush or rock and wait till night. Thirst will be less intolerable then and endurance greater. 
If you have camp companions who are likely to look for you, start a signal fire by night or a smoke by day from some little eminence, and then stay by it until help comes. If you must depend upon your own exertions, think carefully over all the possibilities and adopt a plan of action and adhere to it. Remember the proneness of the lost person to exaggerate the distance he has traveled. It is well to count paces and to remember that about 2,000 makes a mile. You will thus have a good check on the distance that you go and at the same time will keep your mind occupied. Keep your direction true by traveling toward or from some selected landmark or by the sun during the day or a star at night or by keeping with or against or in some fixed direction in relation to the wind. If you think these things out and have studied a country beforehand so that you know the relation of a road or a ranch or a spring or a river to a given landmark or to the points of the compass, you should have no difficulty in finding your way again. With some persons, however, the faculty of getting lost amounts to genius. They are able to accomplish it wherever they are, the only suitable device for them is to keep out of the desert. There are safer places in which to exercise their talent. Still others have a geographic instinct and a power of geographic observation which defies time and place. They cannot be lost anywhere. For such, these lines are not written. End of Appendix A Recording by Stephen Seidel End of California Desert Trails by Joseph Smeaton Chase